until then, James Corbett live from, well, what is it? The sunny climbs of one of the coasts. I always screw this up, even though I've heard it a hundred times somewhere in Japan there. Uh, my friend, James Corbett, how are you today, sir? I am. Well, uh, you know, there's two ways to answer that question. I uh, looking out the window. Everything is fine over here. Looking at the news, you would expect Armageddon. So I, uh, I, I'm going to go look out at the window and say everything is fine over here. Well, you know, between the uh, cruise ships quarantine that were docked over there in Japan and the cruise ships quarantined over here over the uh, great panic now uh, being called a pandemic directly by CNN. And they want to clarify 100 times to you exactly why it is they have decided to call it a pandemic. And of course, on Fox News, it is the thing that should be ignored because Trump's doing a good job and MSNBC is still talking to you about the DNC. So there you go for your major networks over here. And if you go anywhere else, to be honest with you, James, the conversation is not much more lively or dynamic. So, you know, coronavirus, it is unfortunately where I'm going to start with you. Um, and, and why? Because I respect your viewpoint. And before I dump my theory on you, I would love to hear what your viewpoint of this is, especially sitting in a place like Japan, especially sitting in the Asian area of the globe, let's call it, okay? And I hope that's not too un-PC for people. Uh, you know, sitting there, how, how does this look from your perspective? How does it look from national media sources there? How does it look from alt media sources that you follow? And, I mean, you are somebody to be followed, but... Still, I'd love to know what, what you're seeing, what you're learning, and what you're thinking about this. Well, let's put it uh, this way. What this is and what is really happening and virus, real, fake, natural, bioweapon, 5G, whatever, uh, you name the theory, I have heard it. And I am reserving judgment on it because there is not enough data at this time for me to come to a conclusion. And I know that infuriates people who want a definitive answer and will click to any clickbait headline that purports to provide that to them, I will not do so because I do not have the answer to this. Personally, I can tell you I am not scared of this virus. I'm not clamming myself up indoors and hiding from the world because of it. Um, but having said that, there is a real threat from this, and the real threat is in the response to this viral pandemic hype. And I wrote about this quite extensively in a recent article that I published that I hope your listeners will check out. It's called uh, coronavirus, the cures will be worse than the disease. And essentially, this may not be the trigger event, um, but it's certainly a path along the way towards the complete upending of society. This has the potential to be a 9-11 type of event, um, where, again, regardless of what really happened on 9-11 itself, it really was, as they were intent on telling us on that day, the day that changed everything, in that it certainly was a trigger event for a number of different agendas and a, a sort of excuse and justification for the two decades of war of terror calamity that we've seen unfold since then. Well, now we're starting to see a completely different calamity of a sort. Again, engineered or natural doesn't really matter. The, at the end of the day, this is going to be about changing society top to bottom. And the obvious thin edge of that wedge is the medical martial law phenomenon and the various ways that, for example, China and others are cracking down on the movements of its own people and, and all of those sorts of things that we would expect in this scenario. But that will filter down to many, many 
further layers of society, right down to the, the fundamental nature of the economy, the way it's structured, the idea of social distancing, all of these agenda items that are being ticked right now, internal passports and what have you, uh, are all at the very least being floated uh, in the public consciousness as a result of this hype. So even if the hype disappears tomorrow, the lingering effects of this will go on for quite some time. Yeah. Now, see, here's the funny part about this. I purposely avoided your article. Now I'm going to provide the link to it in the show notes for this particular podcast. But uh, I, and I will read it, you know, very, very shortly because I, I do want to get an in-depth look at your take on this. It's funny thing, though, James, you and I are coming to the same conclusion. Uh, now, I have gone off on a couple of other details here and I've gotten a little bit of uh Oh, negative feedback, let's call it. Based on some of my conclusions, I, I have stated that effectively we do not have enough data to judge this uh, in comparison to some other contagions which have actually been, you know, for lack of a better term, earth shaking in one way or another. So the idea, and especially in the United States where we have a very limited number of cases, uh, you know, it's growing exponentially and, you know, the, the amount of panic that has been fostered through the mainstream media especially, but but quite frankly, the alternative alleged independence, they, they are doing no better uh, at, at really fanning the flames here. And this is an interesting thing to keep a watch on for many reasons. Today, of course, I, I, I don't know what time it was, but I do know that Italy has basically locked itself entirely down. And that is a precursor for something else in my mind. Um, now, is, is there a possible real biological threat here? Again, not enough data has been collected. Not enough people have been tested. We have obviously seen, you know, deaths uh, among individuals who were vulnerable. But we do see that with flu. And unfortunately, I sound like I'm trying to agree with Donald Trump here. I'm not. I'm just trying to be realistic. And here's the other thing about it. Now we have the justification once again, and this is why I'm so glad you brought up 9-11, because despite the fact that there was some sort of direct correlation between the actions that were taking place post 9-11 and the 9-11 event, they are really what I would call, for lack of a better word, excuses in order to put into place various agendas that were pre-planned. We're just ready and waiting for the right disaster to make sure you don't let go to waste. And here we go again. And on top of that, when it comes to biological issues like this, we have been confronted with Zika, Ebola, H1N1, you know, bird flu. I, I, I forget the avian, whatever it was, virus, MERS, SARS, so many different things, even for a short time, different flesh eating bacterias in certain parts of this country. My friends, it, it is a minuscule amount of people that might be affected by this, according to the data we have. And, you know, on a daily basis, there are individuals dying constantly from something that is quite profitable and not because you're selling hand sanitizer and masks. And that is the opioids that are, you know, reigning supreme in the death categories here in the United States. That is an emergency. And that is something where people are currently dying, have been dying for years, and the blind eye is partially turned toward it, where occasionally there are, you know, 
hyperbolic sort of statements of grandiosity related to the levels of humanitarianism that individuals are supposed to be carrying with them regarding this. But notice nothing is done. And that is a medical crisis. So, you know, to me, it does seem as though there's a potential for danger, but really the dangerous thing in my mind is the propaganda, the fear. And today with the stock market taking another nosedive, uh, you know, here we go with that. Now, the stock market is not an indicator of people's true economic welfare or anything, but fact is now they will justify something that should be going on anyway by telling you it's because of the coronavirus effective numbers if you just take a look at what they're reporting regarding how many people have been affected and the truth of it this should not be going on but now posthumously after the event they're going to talk about how you know people are being kept home schools are being closed all this other stuff meanwhile prematurely in my estimation Meanwhile, yes, indeed, we have the isolation agenda, which has been in constant play again post 9-11 reality. There are so many things to deal with here. And I, I got to be honest with you personally, once again, I am not afraid. And, and my health is not necessarily the strongest. I am one of those people who might be vulnerable. In fact, uh, I have zero fear. I'm not wearing a mask and uh, look, the flu could be a vicious thing that destroys somebody. If I were, and I was at one time, by the way, James, opiate addicted uh, before I started doing radio and things like that. Um, quite frankly, if I were still doing that, I would be even more vulnerable and I probably wouldn't be alive today. But I do not fear this thing, which is, you know, uh, again, the uh, COVID-19, right? Uh, which, you know, is a severe upper respiratory infection. I've suffered those before. I've had pneumonia. I have decreased lung capacity based on scarring. I know that this would not be a good thing for me, but I'm not afraid. It is a fact of life that, well, you know, germs, for lack of a better word, you know, they, they can run rampant and occasionally kill you, and it's got nothing to do with a pandemic. Sometimes it's just personal. And that happens. It's called life and death and the cycle of it. And I'm not going to sit here and waste my time being afraid personally. You, the listener, can do what you want. You, James Corbett, can do what you want. But I don't feel obligated to invest myself in that kind of fear. So I, I'm not telling anybody what to do. I'm just telling you where I stand. And uh, the fact is that, you know, making projections and trying to figure out how much damage this could do to the worldwide population, how much real financial carnage this could cause in reality, not in the panicked reactions. And by the way, you know, has nothing to do with that whole oil thing that just coincidentally came together at this time, you know, where we're devaluing the price of oil. And trust me, it's not going to save you any money, but it's going to make a mess out of certain people's investments and futures and things. Yes, I'm smiling. Um, the thing is that, uh, we are going to see a lot of scapegoating of a virus. <laughs> I, I know that sounds crazy, but I think that's what's happening. And James, do I sound insane to you? Well, it sounded before we started talking as if we were going to have something to disagree about. You just talked for several minutes and I don't disagree with any single thing that you said there. 
Funny how that works. Yeah. <laughs> but th th this is the reality. Look, there are certain standards by which we can judge things. And quite frankly, even when the different flu viruses did serious damage to the population, when did they sort that out and know that was actually happening? During the event itself, they knew how much damage was happening. And then at the end, and when I say they, I do mean we or the we that would have been there. We don't know really how these things are going to run until they run. In fact, this is how we learn in the grand Petri dish that is the planet. Sometimes things like the plague run rampant and sometimes they don't. And sometimes it's got to do with, yes, indeed, hygiene and things like that. That's for sure. But I am not uh, running and screaming to Mike Pence and his task force or anybody else's governmental agency that is now coming together to save me from a virus. They are just not fighting on the same battlefield. Uh, now, does that mean that, you know, the government should do nothing? Does that mean that people should do nothing? No, at all times, be vigilant, protect yourselves, and take care of your own health. And in fact, here's the funny thing. Even if you listen to these experts who are telling you, don't worry, we're going to come up with therapies and vaccines and this and that, they are at all times telling you, you know, primarily, but very quietly, primarily, if you take care of your own health, you'll be less likely to be a victim of something like this in a significant way that might cost you your life. Funny how that works, James, isn't it? It is indeed. So um, you've raised a number of points that I think we should all be reflecting on, one of which is an unpopular thought to be expressing at this time, but it is nonetheless worth expressing. And uh, Craig Murray, I think, found this out recently. He posted up on his blog recently, Memento Mori, Unpopular Thoughts on Coronavirus, where he does in effect, make the uh, the idea that, well, yes, viruses do happen, people do get sick, people even die. And what exactly is it that we're expecting to create a world in which this never happens? How on earth is that going to be possible? It is a fact of life. People get sick and die. We're never going to stop that from happening completely. Or at what price would you want that to stop from happening? So uh, he, I see he got a lot of kickback in his comment section from some of his commenters about those thoughts. Uh, I think taken in context, they, they make a certain amount of sense. But secondarily, yes, again, at this point, it is certainly too early to say that this is the Black Death that's coming for us all or anything of that sort. It's not worth the panic that has been whipped up in its wake, except for the fact that, as I've been talking about basically since the inception of the Corbett Report, the idea of a biological agent of some sort Again, whether created in a lab or completely natural, whether extremely deadly or not particularly deadly, it doesn't really matter as long as it can be used to drum up the public into a state of panic. And of course, with the active complicity of various organs of the media, both mainstream and corporate and independent and alternative as well, because unfortunately, so much of the independent media simply chases the MSM's tail, uh, you can whip a large section of the public into a frenzy over something that may, and I say may, because I don't know, but again, it may end up being a particularly not, uh, not particularly scary event, like the swine flu or many of the things that have come before. I do tend to think this one will play out differently than some of the non-panics or the non-events that we've seen in the past several years, but those were a good guide as to the direction things were going and, f and laid the framework and the groundwork for what we are experiencing right now, including the medical martial law push that we're seeing. And I point to something like, I'm sure 
I'm sure you've probably heard about this and talked about this at some point, Event 201, which of course was held in October of 2019, talking about the outbreak of a potential novel coronavirus that would spread around the world and uh, and the economic and other effects that would take place as a result of that. Of course, this was put on in conjunction with Bill and Melinda Gates and Johns Hopkins and uh, the World Health Organization and CDC and other participating bodies. That seems, at least according to some people, to have been essentially they were telling you exactly what's going to happen. I don't think it's necessarily, I certainly don't see it as proof of anything. Um, people tend to think that coronavirus is some sort of new thing that is just appeared on the planet in the past few months. But of course, no, it's a broad class of virus, which includes everything from the common cold up to SARS and MERS and other uh, exotic forms of disease that we've seen crop up in recent years, again, whether natural or man-made. So it is not it is not particularly surprising that the global pandemic planners would be planning for such an eventuality as a novel coronavirus outbreak. Uh, again, it's not certainly not conclusive of the fact that this was engineered. But that's precisely the point. Uh, right. They have been planning for some type of outbreak like this for a very long time, and it's not just in October of 2019. You'll you'll see Bill Gates recently wrote an ed- uh, editorial, I assume it is, whatever you want to call it, in the New England Journal of Medicine, talking about the various things that we'll have to do to combat these types of outbreaks in the future. Uh, it's almost word-for-word word identical to an exact same editorial he wrote in 2015, as a reflection on the Ebola non-event of 2014. Uh, They've been talking about this for years and years and years. This is nothing new. And this is just the excuse for a number of agenda items to come to light. And I think that's the important point. Um, And if you give into the fear, you are essentially allowing them to go ahead with their agenda. Because if if there's a crisis, we need a solution. And look, here's the people, the men in white lab coats uh, uh, funded by billionaires who are going to tell us what that solution is. Yeah, that's the amazing point here. And and look, I would love to ascribe nefarious purposes to uh, Bill Gates. I mean, just for fun, James, honestly. But fact is that uh, think tanks gaming this kind of thing out could be for nefarious or, ben, uh, you know, uh, uh, benevolent purposes. Uh, at any point in time, honestly, there are people who do believe that we need to be prepared for such an event. Now, another fact you brought up there, which I, uh, which I brought up during the one hour, and I did do a full hour explaining my position on this uh, about a week and a half ago uh, because I, I felt it necessary. And I went through the data to understand because people are saying, oh, it's not a cold. If you remember, Rush Limbaugh was very much called on the carpet. And I am not somebody who appreciates the position of having to defend Rush Limbaugh. But in his spirit, I do. Uh, In this comment alone, let's leave it there, segregated. But the fact is that when he said it's going to be like a bad cold, it's not as though he was making something up out of thin air. When I looked at the data from places like the Mayo Clinic and uh, various medical organizations regarding this stuff previous to the panic, right? The coronavirus is okay. What we call a common cold, about 50% of those that are tracked and known come from the rhinovirus. The other 50%, guess what they come from? The family of coronaviruses, right? And there are many of them. There's a reason why there's a 19 on COVID, right? Because there was probably 18 before it. Anyway, we'll just leave that as a hint. I'm not even saying that that's exactly how that came about. I am just saying that quite often when you see things numbered, it's usually for organizational purposes so that you can catalog them correctly. And indeed, there are other coronaviruses. Some are novel coronaviruses, some are not. 
So anyway, there's a lot to this. And at the end of the day, it is an upper respiratory infection and it is somewhat aggressive. And, you know, commonly, symptomatically, it is just like a common cold, a bad one. I mean, I'm not trying to underplay the fact or demean the fact that, yes, indeed, some people will die from this or have died from this. Some people die from the common cold. Some people die from pneumonia. Most people do not at this point in time in most places, you know, but uh, a reality is reality. It, it is in context. We must must look at this and understand that when blaming the stock market crash, when blaming the job numbers that are going to come out or the economy for not doing what it's supposed to do because of this, long before any of those martial law agenda items had been checked off in each nation, uh, you know, again, I, I do note that Italy's been locked down. I do note that there are other sections of other countries which have been sort of locked down in a medical martial law kind of state. But it is not the entirety of the world. And in fact, a great deal more of the world in general geographically has been affected by other things which have not caused the resident effects of financial crisis, of panic, of changes in business practices, etc. And I, I note one more time that and, and I don't mean to drag you into this discussion, but in truth, I see the opiate crisis in America as a plague. It is spreading. It is taking lives. It is making people unhealthy. It is causing damage to the economy, whether you know it or not. But nobody really wants to get beyond the, well, the goodwill sort of sentiment, you know, thoughts and prayers always. But are we going to do anything about it? Is the government going to do anything about it? Well, not so long as they're taking money from the big pharmaceutical companies, which profit from it, you see, which is a funny thing that each of these two things have in common, despite the fact that once again, during this same time period, when the novel coronavirus has been a threat, when the pandemic was getting set into motion, using their word, mind you, uh, if you track the amount of deaths from the opioids, if you track the amount of deaths from what we would call just the flu, which, by the way, is an oversimplification of a great many different possibilities of disease. But anyway, when you take a look at things like that, which do not make the world shudder, which have not shut down the world for years, and I do mean many years in some cases, of course, the opioid crisis has sort of ebbed and flowed. You know, between the times, uh, just during the course of my lifetime, James, because, you know, I was alive at the end of the Vietnam War and we had a heroin problem here in the in this country, kind of took a little nap in the 80s there a little bit and uh, didn't really wake up all the way in the 90s, but came back roaring post 9-11 reality. So it's not as though we're unaccustomed to these sorts of things. It's not as though that's not a medical issue. But again, somebody is profiting from that. Now, I guess face masks and hand sanitizers are not a good enough profit margin just yet. So panic must be increased. Also, it's always good to sell a little fear porn on the MSN. They, 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 they have to do that. I mean, it's just part of their job, James. Uh, and, and you're right. A lot of the alleged alt or independent media is just going to chase their tails on this. And again, have either less data than the MSM or the same data as the MSM because that's what they do. Now, personally, like I said, I actually went and wanted to study the data that people who were interested in this before it was an interest 
were tracking these sorts of things, taking a look. Like I said, at the Mayo Clinic, Johns Hopkins, I know that these are academic places and some people scoff at that, but they do have good labs, James. <laughs> you know, they do have people whose job it is and depends on them collecting data. And they have some interesting things to say previous to the media panic. So I'm going to get out of this subject in a minute, but I want to make it very, very clear. And no, I did not study your response to this because I wanted to make sure that both of us had our own ideas coming into this completely cleanly. And I'm sure you didn't hear my presentation. So here we are. We come to the same conclusion. Oddly enough, I sort of expected that and was hoping for that because, again, I do respect all the stuff that you put out at CorbettReport.com. And uh, so once again, I'm going to say that you guys need to get over there if you haven't already. And trust me, I'll give you some links. But, James, it is indeed the agenda that and, and not the agenda. Let me correct myself. The agendas, plural that are now going to find new life, that are going to find new justification. And believe it or not, isolation of individuals is part of it. To restrict interaction with individuals in a realistic sense, make it more virtual. This has been part of the plan for a long time because, you know, it's the best way to run a technocracy. And if you think that those goals are still not in play, if you think not, uh, I don't know how you found my show, but welcome. Because uh, they are. But I mean, there's that. There's the political edges to it. There's the profit motives, which are going to become even clearer very soon, I believe. Because the people that manufacture masks and hand sanitizers, as I said, are not really the biggest players. Although, you know, Johnson & Johnson and the various drug companies do make some versions of these things. So I'm sure they will profit as well. But that's not going to be good enough. There's going to have to be more. And the tests and all this other nonsense that's being discussed we do not even have the data to measure what is occurring yet. At least it's not public. I mean, perhaps the data exists somewhere and it's not being shared with the public. I'm sure that would shock everybody who listens to this show, but it's part of the reality. Anyway, any arguments once again, Mr. Corbett? Not really. Let me add to what you're saying. Um, I, I think that if there is anything that's going to uh, multiply here uh, in this viral pandemic hype that we're experiencing. It is uh, instances of interesting and new attempts to propagandize the public using the same old tired tactics. And one of them is buzzwords that are now starting to enter the lexicon. In fact, this just came out from Wall Street Journal. Social distancing is new coronavirus buzz phrase. Does it mm. work? And it's all about the attempts to quarantine various people, pr uh, prohibit their travels, uh, shut down public institutions, etc., in the name of stopping the spread of this disease. And they talk about how it came at a significant economic cost to China, but it has worked so well to contain the disease. But the question is, can democracies from Japan to France struggle to follow China's suit? Which is an interesting example of that propaganda phenomenon that I've noted before, that China is held up as the boogeyman and they're look at the horrible things that this horrible communist dictatorship is doing to their pub public. But wouldn't it be nice if we could do it here as well? <laughs> Which is the tenor of a lot of the, the, the propaganda that we're being fed on that front. Um, secondarily, you point out 
uh, for example, the the opioid ec- epidemic or or the the regular flu or all sorts of things. Car accidents kill orders of magnitude more people than uh, than. Uh, for example, another 9/11 related thing. Since 9/11, your chances of dying in America from a bee sting are are larger than dying from a terrorist attack. Uh, and orders of magnitude more a larger chance that you'll die in a car accident. But of course, those things do not get one one hundredth the amount of attention that the global terror regime has has foisted on the world in terms of propaganda. So one way of understanding the propaganda is when they are putting in a disordinate amount of attention on something that is a comparably much smaller threat, you have to know that there is going to be various agendas embedded in this. And you're exactly right to point out agendas, because this is not one singular thing done for one singular purpose. It is done for many, many, many different purposes, uh, one of which we've talked about with regards to the isolation and quarantining and uh, medical martial law and things of that nature, but um, many other effects too, economic as, uh, and otherwise. And why not? Sure, there's a monetary incentive to this as well, not the just the $8.3 billion that the U.S. government has already committed to fighting the spread of this disease, but the many billions of dollars more that are on the way for the big pharma uh, manufacturers in terms of vaccines that they are working on now and will no doubt deliver, and potentially um, will be force vaccinated into the public, which is another aspect of medical martial law that could at least potentially be enabled by this round of panic. And if not this round, then maybe the next round. Mm. Well, after all, look, I am old enough to remember when they attempted to, uh, you know, scare us with another spreading a threat that was going to invade the United States anyway. And that was the Africanized killer bees. Remember those, James? Uh, you know, th- that that's a fascinating aspect of this. But also, uh, I, I find it remarkable that, um, you know, at all times, the, the medical martial law aspect of forced vaccination, you bring up a very interesting point. Because now, you know, how dare you risk infecting other people with, you know, measles or uh, chicken pox or something like this. Uh, now, now this is a global pandemic. It would absolutely be ludicrous for you to resist a vaccination for this, right? I, I, I am speaking with tongue in cheek. I am absolutely somebody who does not submit to this and believe as it is experimental under the, the rules, uh, uh, given at the, you know, the, the Geneva convention, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the trials in fact, at Nuremberg, I think had rules instated afterwards about medical testing. And in my mind, vaccinations actually fit the criteria for experimental, which I am fully allowed to refuse as a citizen on the planet. Apparently forget my nation of origin, but, let us begin to move on because I think we've absolutely tackled this subject as far as we can because, again, the data is still incomplete. What is on your mind during this time period? Because one of the things whenever something is pushed up front like this that often comes to, oh, I don't know, my conspiracy theorist mind, because that's now a pejorative, you know, Um is when I see something that I believe is being overly inflated, whether it be the stock market or it is a panic or it is the latest wave of terror that is about to come. I got to tell you, James, I always think to myself, what is actually happening that is, you know, being distracted from? In other words, these are weapons of mass distraction. What is it that they are 
being deployed in defense of. There must be some events I'm not meant to pay attention to. And that's not necessarily even the shooting wars that are going on in various nations outside of Afghanistan, which, by the way, in case you're still keeping score at home, is the longest military engagement in American history. But um, just things like that, you know, which were done under false pretenses. And, of course, the destruction of a sovereign nation under false pretenses like Iraq, Right. Stuff like that, regardless of whose story you buy, there were false pretenses and that nation was destroyed. Uh, Anyway, putting that aside and putting aside the fact that we're not supposed to know what the military is doing on the planet and everything else. And we may or may not, as the election gets closer, be more at war with Iran than we thought we were. But, um, James, what, what is it we're being distracted from, in your opinion? Finally, something we can disagree on. <laughs> I have uh, I have called this out in recent years uh, because I am guilty of it myself, but I have uh, refrained from using this in recent years because I've noticed it has become a tired and lazy trope of the alternative independent media to say that this story is too popular, so it is being used to distract us from this other story. Uh, when all that really indicates is, I'm tired of talking about this story, let's talk about this other story, and how do you sex up the other story is by saying they're trying to distract you from it. So I, I refrain from putting it in that framework. But having said that, there are other important stories that are taking place in the world, and they do deserve our attention. For example, uh, you just mentioned, of course, the Afghanistan war. Uh, As you say, the longest military uh, engagement in U.S. history, which is a fact that probably would still surprise the average person on the street if you confronted them with it. Um, Although it should not, because of course it has been ongoing for 19 years based on demonstrable lies. If people don't know about that, they should check out my episode 345 of the Corbett Report podcast on the secret lie that started the Afghanistan war, talking about the ostensible legal reason that was used to justify the NATO led invasion of Afghanistan, um, which again was based on complete lies and false false pr- um, presentations. But having said that, it is, it's over. Haven't you heard? They've signed the peace deal with the Taliban and I guess it's all, all done and dusted now, right? Uh, no, as I talked about in my most recent episode of New World Next Week, I, I will believe it when I see it. And uh, more to the point, uh, I think what we're seeing is at the very best, assuming that this all continues as on some sort of quote-unquote peace process, it's really for reorienting the troops that are in the Middle East towards the next target, which would be Iran, rather than getting bogged down uh, simply maintaining order in Afghanistan or whatever they pretend to be doing, really guarding the poppy fields and other uh, resources there in Afghanistan. So I don't believe that this is really the end of the war, or at least not in an, uh, in an important sense, uh, meaning peace, as if peace will suddenly break out. No, it's just a reorientation of the war machine. But even then, it could be easily derailed at any time by the swamp creatures that continue to infest the Trump swamp. So, uh, I, I again, they have 18,000 ways of undermining this, both overt and covert, at any moment. And in fact, as soon as the ink wasn't dry on the peace deal, there were already um, significant problems with it. Uh, the U.S. attacking Taliban positions in breach of their, their ceasefire and the Afghanistan government saying, how come you're committing us to releasing Taliban prisoners? Uh, you don't have the right to do that. <laughs> so already the, the deal is, is pretty much null and void. Uh, it's just a question of if they are going to maintain some pretense that this is an end to military action in Afghanistan, essentially so they can shift towards their new target of Iran. Well, I do believe that, you know, certain stories are left off the table uh, a lot of times by the MSM and uh, 
people without resources that are independent media have a difficult time keeping track of certain things. But this redeployment issue, um, you know, and, and so I'm not even going to argue with you about the distraction uh, uh, aspect of this, because as you said, they can do it a lot of other ways. They don't have to give you a bigger, sexier story. And it is one of those tropes that uh, that people fall into a little too easily. Uh, that's not to say it's never been done, though, James. <laughs> okay. Oh, of course. So, yeah, it can be done. It's just yeah. uh, I don't think it always is when people frame it that way. And anyway, if a story is worth paying attention to, it's worth paying attention to whether or not they're trying to distract us from it. Right. You have brought up something that I do believe is worthy of uh, paying attention to, and it has been given to us in a piecemeal sense across media platforms, but nobody has put together the puzzle pieces. And here's why I say that. If you recall, we had troops that were deployed allegedly to Saudi Arabia because, as Trump said, they're paying for it. So, you know, <laughs> that's okay. There was a reorganization of what was going on in Syria that was sold to us as a pullout right. of Syria. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, those troops didn't really leave. Again, rearrangements shuffle the deck. It doesn't exactly. change the parts. Yeah. Um, and, and meanwhile, what is happening with Iraq? Does anybody even know? Well, I, I've gone in depth on a couple of things that are going on there. Uh, and, and it is uh, an interesting rabbit hole for real. Um, we don't really know what's happening in Iraq, in my estimation. And when you put that on the table with the concept of who knows what's actually happening in Iran? And by the way, something that that has a commonality with the coronavirus story here is this bizarre trope in mainstream and alt media, once again, to always, you know, begin to report about what certain governments say and then give certain levels of reliability to different governments based on their political orientation. It's fascinating. Well, the Chinese have told us this, and but the Chinese lie to us all the time. And yes, I did intentionally use the ethnic uh, identification as opposed to, you know, talking about the nation state, because I think that's what they're doing, too. Um, you know, but anyway, China's government makes a pronouncement. They announce the pronouncement and then undermine it by saying, but they lie. Same thing with Iran. The alleged enemies, no matter what, they must be liars, well, indeed, nobody plays with all of their cards face up on the table in the grand political poker game. What? Mike Pompeo, yeah. we were taught how to lie, cheat and steal, is not being honest at all times? Never. Yeah, I know it is so <laughs> difficult for you to imagine, James, but I'm telling you that this is the way it is. I'm sorry. I can't help myself. But. You know, it, it amazes me that there is some level of reliability to our alleged allies' explanations of things, whether it be, you know, why is it that, you know, uh, a, a Turkish airliner was shot down? I, I bet you people forgot about that, by the way. Uh, you know, why is it that there were uh, so many things going on near the border of Iran? What happened to all the ships that were supposedly, you know, in great tense uh, confrontations there? What happened to all that, too? Oh, wait, it's not time for the selection. We don't need that story right now. You know, I mean, I'm just saying there are other things going on here. And just at a guess, when you take and you throw all these puzzle pieces together, you say to yourself that maybe John Bolton's dreams might come to fruition, despite the fact that he's no longer part of the administration. And uh, it might be because there were other like-minded individuals that were there, just didn't really speak as loudly of the agenda. Because Iran was always in the crosshairs of these people. 
And yeah, I am using the these and those people metaphor here purposely as well. James, what do you think about that, though? You think that there is the possibility of that being something that uh, is either imagined as the next military necessary crisis or maybe it will literally be the next stage in the war of terror. Right. Well, I, 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 I'm assuming you're talking about the pivot to Iran, which was explicitly what the way I'm framing the Afghan so-called ceasefire, peace, whatever we want to call it today. Um, that's exactly what I was thinking. And in fact, I was thinking precisely in, in the framework of exactly what you're talking about with Syria. Oh, we're, we're withdrawing from Syria, which of course just turned out to be a reorientation of the troops there to guard the uh, oil resources. Surprise, surprise. Of course, for the benefit of the U.S. liberators of Syria, right, who need to get paid for their great liberation of that country. And you're right also to point out about the question mark over Iraq. People might remember it was just a few weeks ago that the Iraqi parliament was voting to kick the Americans out uh, to say, we do not want you in our country anymore. Um, whereas, of course, the uh, the Iranian-linked militias, and there's big questions about even that, that, that idea, but at any rate, the Iranian-linked militias in Iraq, who are there with this explicit approval of the Iraqi government, working with Iraqi military forces, are deemed to be the, the foreign invaders by the Americans. And thus, uh, the Americans have the right to, to launch attacks on Iraqi soil to kick out the, pe the people who are express working allies with the Iraqi government. It's a nonsensical situation if it is to be examined. But of course, that's exactly why it is never thoroughly examined. And all of those pieces are never put out on the table. You're also right to point out uh, John Bolton is essentially, was essentially the big uh, mustachioed buffoon obvious neocon who people knew exactly what he was and where he stood from a mile away, which is probably why it wasn't a good idea to have him in the administration, assuming you wanted to accomplish the neocon's goals. It's much better to work with quiet people in, in the positions in the shadows of power who, who aren't necessarily so obviously over-the-top ridiculous, um, who can unfortunately much more effectively forward that agenda. And of course, that agenda is continuing without Bolton there, at least not uh, not uh, physically present in the White House at this point. But at any rate, the, the spirit of Bolton certainly hangs over the administration and what it's doing, what it's accomplishing uh, through Pompeo and his lackeys and uh, other members of the national security establishment. And yes, of course, Iran has always been the next the next real piece on the on the chessboard that the uh, the neocons have been lusting after, and uh, we've certainly seen some moves in the past few months that uh, that show that it's very much back in play, especially with the nuclear deal shenanigans that have been going on, and now the a new a yet another round of hype threat about oh the the Iranian nuclear threat, which of course has never been a real th threat, but has been pumped and pimped as such to the American media so much. Uh, the the American populace has been so propagandized to it that I'm sure a lot of the uh, the public are willing to believe it. Um, and it's really only being overridden at the moment by the coronavirus hype. But even there, of course, it is also interesting that one of the main epicenters of outbreak is not just Iran, but actually the Iranian government. A number yeah, of officials <laughs> have apparently been stricken. So that's that's interesting in and of itself. It, you know, it certainly is. And that's why I tied it together. Now, uh, I've actually got a live listener question that wants your opinion. And I do believe it actually links to the two main topics that you and I have discussed. So I just will offer it to you and uh, run with it as you please. Um, 
you know, and, and the, the listener is wondering if you have seen, speaking of, this is what it says, actually, uh, speaking of the, uh, wait, 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 <laughs> see, I try and roll things while I'm talking on air and sometimes they don't roll with me. Uh, okay. Speaking of medical martial law, what are your thoughts on the Israeli government now locking down, uh, parts of Gaza or some part of Palestinian territory claiming to have justification through the coronavirus thing? And is this linked to what you're talking about regarding Iran? So there we go. That's actually kind of a two part question. That's how they wrote it. Uh, do you, do you want me to need me to read it again? Or uh, I don't believe so, but I do need clarification. Has such a lockdown taken place in Gaza yet, or is he suggesting that it will take place? Uh, I do believe that I saw a report, and I got to admit that I did not study it in depth. You know, I do scan the headlines and begin my studies every single day, uh, and, and I don't often get around to everything. But I know I have an article, which I'll okay. link to this episode, uh, that does explain that there is something to this report that they may have uh, locked down either uh, some Palestinian territory. I don't know if it was Gaza. Uh, the yeah. listeners, I will need. I'll, I'll need to see that because I have. I have uh, I, I, the latest that I saw was Common Dreams of several days ago. Um, posted a an article, a terrifying scenario scenario coronavirus in quarantine Gaza, but that was a theoretical scenario that they were talking about. What if? They were to quarantine Gaza, and they were saying, you know, how much how much worse of a humanitarian situation it would be, and and what Israel could get away with. I haven't seen them actually implementing that yet, so I will need to see the the story about that. Um, but I think it does speak for itself. Obviously, Gaza is essentially one of the largest open door prison in on the planet right now. Um, people living in horrible conditions already. If something like the coronavirus or whatever was actually to spread through the population and would essentially allow Israel or you know what I mean, not allow, but give the theoretical justification for Israel to go in and simply clean the place out one way or another through biowarfare agent or through medical martial law crackdown. Um, at any rate, it would amount to the same thing for the Palestinians. So it would be a nightmare scenario, but I just, I haven't seen the actual story itself playing out that way yet, but um, exactly as with the Iranian situation, with the Iranian parliament being stricken, particularly by this, interestingly enough, I, I think it is certainly a vector of weapon one way or another. Again, whether real or fictional, whether natural or man-made, it's certainly a justification for uh, an, an oppressor or a belligerent to go after their enemies. Well, and there is absolutely no end to, uh, you know, the the utilization of any given crisis, even if it is entirely organic, to be utilized by individuals who wish to implement, well, let's just call them unpopular agendas and uh, indeed make the populace, which they are ruling over one way or another, whether it is directly or by, you know, fiat, surrogate, whatever, uh, there, there, there is always the possibility that uh, someone will seize upon a crisis just to simply exploit it because, well, that's just the nature of governance at this point on the planet. So I, 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 would, I would say that whether it is theoretical or realistic or has gone live, so to speak, uh, it is a possibility that just for the sake of the agenda, it could be a justification for something like this. So, uh, so I, I agree with you. I, I have not studied it to know that it's actually happened, but from the way the question was written, it seemed like they, they believed it had. And I did see a story about it. I might've seen the same thing you did. 
uh, but I do not have the facts, so I will not speak to it factually as for what's going on. But theoretically, uh, one could imagine that this is not, well, <laughs> unimaginable, James. So what do you think should be at the front of people's minds today with the last uh, 10 minutes I have here with you? Uh, you know, obviously at the front of your mind should be to go to corporate report com and check out James's work, all of it, the old stuff, the new stuff. You might even find a few shows that I participated in over there at CorbettReport.com if that interests you. And if not, there are a million other things going on because uh, although J.G. Michael was on here from Parallax Views and said that he felt as though I was uh, one of the hardest working people in independent media, I beg to differ. Uh, I would certainly put James Corbett well ahead of me. And I know James Evan Pilato, who is your partner at New World Next Week, uh, the guy from MediaMonarchy.com and all that, uh, you know, he, he coined that phrase years ago and I stole it from him when he was talking about James Brown being the hardest working man in show business. And he introduced you as being the James Brown of uh, alternative media, which I'm sure you, you don't like the alternative media label at this point, but either way, let's call it independent media and CorbettReport.com is fully independent and listener supported. So with all that having been said, what do you think people should be paying attention to today, James Corbett? Uh, well, the Afghanistan story is one that we looked at specifically in the last episode of New World Next Week, and I think it is important. Um, it does represent some moves that are being made geostrategically in the area and what it could portend for Iran. So I think that is something we should be keeping our eye on. Also, just relatedly, I suppose I should throw in that the international court has apparently just approved a probe of U.S. war crimes in Afghanistan, which is actually something of a major deal because it was a somewhat of a foregone conclusion that the U.S. was essentially going to make sure that the ICC did not proceed with their war crime investigation in Afghanistan, but apparently they're going ahead with it. Um, there have been actual threats to ICC judges uh, by the U.S. Uh, as a result of this potential mm -hmm. for a probe. I'm not exactly expecting justice to come from the International Criminal Court, but it, the fact that they're even opening a probe is, is something. And it does uh, speak to a, perhaps a shift in political opinions that are taking place around the world right now that could mean something in the long run, um, because so much of what happens is really predicated on public opinion. I think the public has for long forgotten its role in actually steering the course of uh, political decision-making, which comes after the fact uh, in a lot of cases. So I think, at any rate, it is an interesting story, and I'll, I'll be keeping my eye on that. Um, other stories that are important, unfortunately, a lot of them now, at this point, are being taken over or subsumed by the coronavirus story in the sense that, for example, I've I've certainly been talking about and, and writing about and thinking about the, the economy, so-called, for a long time. Clearly, there are going to be profound economic ramifications to this coronavirus hype. Um, again, regardless of whether it disappears off the face of the earth tomorrow, uh, the economic effects of this have already been baked into the cake with profound economic disruptions to the global just-in-time just supply chain and all of that, let alone the, the market effects that we're seeing right now. And as you intimated, this is, of course, um, not necessarily as a result of the coronavirus. This is an excuse brought about. We, now we can point to the coronavirus as the reason that the economy is tanking. Uh, a convenient excuse for the people who have literally engineered the controlled demolition of the Ponzi scheme economy that they've built up over the past, well, centuries, really, but a couple of decades quite quite um, documentably. And I talk about this in my most recent uh, editorial that I hope people will read. It's called The Roller Coaster Ride Has Begun, where I point to the, the so-called 
VIX Fear Index, the Volatility Index, which measures market volatility, basically screaming that we are in major economic uh, 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 calamitous times. The VIX has never been as high since October 2008, i.e. the market has never been more certain than it is right now that a major disruption is happening since the Lehman collapse threatened to wipe out the phony baloney financial economy back in 2008. Um, Again, all of this is smoke and mirrors, but it points to a deeper underlying reality that we are being conditioned for a changeover in the global economic order. And that that has they've been telegraphing this for decades now, um, but I think this may be one of the events that at least leads into that changeover scenario. And unfortunately, uh, the cashless digital payment society that they are conditioning us towards as a result of this panic uh, is not something that any of us want to enter into because it is going to be a level of control that we can scarcely imagine at this point. And I think this is probably... Again, I guess you could call it a coronavirus-related story, although it's really not, but it is certainly the coronavirus is the ostensible trigger that they're going to use for this already existing agenda, and I definitely am going to be paying more attention to this going forward. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I will also provide, uh, you know, obviously I'm going to provide the link to uh, corporatereport.com, but the latest articles, uh, yes, keep track of them, but also go back in the archives because I'm telling you now, uh, I don't know how many gems are in there. Hundreds upon hundreds, possibly thousands of gems of information and things that, quite frankly, you know, <clears throat> occasionally I report on something long ahead of others. Uh, but but James Corbett does it consistently. I want you guys to know. And uh, uh, quite frankly, I'm really grateful that you came on the show today to talk about these things, because, uh, again, a sober and a skeptical point of view is uh, is something that is actually quite rare. Most people uh, simply seem to parrot either the script or others and uh, pass it off as, well, I am the prognosticator. I know so much. I realize how the new world order works. Um, You know, this kind of thing. Uh, But James Corbett actually independently and without the influence of any corporate sponsor does what he does. And uh, it's always a good time to sit down and talk with him, especially when we're watching the manipulation of not only the markets, but the population in order to create certain conditions that uh, do do feed the agendas of those that are actually in control of the equation at all times, despite the illusions they have sold you regarding your participation. Um, and, and here we go. The, the financial situation, it does look volatile. And, uh, you know, like I said, tomorrow night, I'll be talking with that, uh, talking about that with Mike Swanson in depth once again, because we've been telling you about this for a while. One thing I want to ask you about really quickly though, since I do have a couple of minutes, James is, uh, have you taken notice of finally, there are certain major media outlets that are paying attention to, uh, this whole burn pit issue. Uh, which, you know, I know that you have mentioned it on shows years ago. You might have to dig in your memory bank, James, a little bit. I don't know how much you got in there, but, uh, quite honestly, uh, we were talking about this years ago, the, uh, the veterans and their damage, you know, that they were suffering as a result of these massive burn pits, both in Afghanistan and Iraq. Have you taken notice of any of that, that finally, you know, welcome to the party, major media outlets, Glad to see you along. 
they are now discussing it and taking it seriously, but not the authors, not the individuals that, you know, maybe you or I interviewed years ago, not the actual veterans in most cases, except there is one gentleman that they are dragging around now uh, who is uh, allegedly dying from cancer. I don't know the facts of the case. I just know that's the way it's being reported. But um, he is one man among many, many who were not uh, being paid attention to now for these many years. And as you said, Afghanistan's been going on for 19 years. You know, Iraq, in case people forgot about it, I mean, that started in, what, 2003? Uh, And Afghanistan, you know, if you go with the first air raids that were run by NATO, I believe we're talking about, oh, about a month after 9-11, actually, those first air campaigns were flown. So all that time to now and that kind of thing being ignored – I, I find them to be a metaphorical representation of the way the wars have been covered in the modern age. What do you think of that? Well, I must admit, I am accessing my uh, memory banks, and I think you are correct that I think we may have mentioned the burn pit issue on New World Next Week many years ago, but I can't think of a recent example of that, and I must confess ignorance to any of the news new news stories that are coming out about this issue or any of the MSM coverage. I certainly haven't seen it myself. Um, so I'd be interested to hear more and I hope you have some links that you can share with us about that. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's interesting to see that it, it, if that's being covered now, finally in the mainstream, that is an interesting development, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know for a fact, just off the top of my head that uh, I saw a video of CNN, so I'll find the links. I'm sure it's on YouTube. Uh, of two individuals from veterans organizations and one of them actually saying, you know, I I have stage four cancer and uh, the VA wasn't paying attention to me all this time either. And uh, I wouldn't have had stage four cancer yet. I was exposed to these things and they actually talked about the contents of the burn pits. And I'm sure you know what I'm speaking of where they were just, you know, garbage disposal and burning in. Yeah. What it sounds like a big pit in Afghanistan and Iraq, and these things were everywhere, and they were releasing toxins of all sorts, including, including, according to many reports, uh, things that were contaminated with con- uh, chemical weapons, uh, you know, waste and things like this, all thrown in along with Humvees and uniforms and tires and everything, uh, you know, being burned. And uh, uh, certainly individuals who are in charge of making sure those fires burned were exposed along with many, many other veterans. And they are getting some unique and exotic cancers. But they have been for years. And I know that we've talked about it uh, on this show. Uh, and, and I'm certain that uh, I, I had an author on whose book was banned in uh, American PXs and all that. And, and I do remember his first name was Joe, and I have not heard from him in a long time. But that's one guy I can think of, and I talked about this with others as well. But either way, James, I've taken up enough of your time today. Do appreciate you once again. And uh, I certainly will have many show notes here. And, of course, you can do whatever you like with this show, Mr. Corbett, in case you were wondering. Uh, and, and, you know, repost, edit it. I don't care. Just uh, as per usual, you know the deal. Just attribute that you were on the show and that kind of thing. And that's it. You can do whatever you like with this. And uh, so can you, the listeners, by the way, because uh, I don't hold copyright over any of this stuff or restrict it. It is free information. It is broadcast free and it's distributed free, just like what James Corbett does. But of course, you can support him over at CorbettReport.com. By the way, don't look for him on Twitter because he isn't there. Uh, I tweet out his stories on Twitter and so do some others. And, uh, you know, so if you're on that particular convention, 
you can't follow him. But go to CorbettReport.com and you can follow everything James Corbett does. We'll be back in the next hour with Terry Tapp. James, thank you so much. Thank you, Chuck.